0: Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you wait before the show, as you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game podcast.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh we got a, a very interesting episode, I think, ahead of us. So in this episode, we have a special guest who I'm going to introduce uh, shortly. But first, we have one of our beloved field staff writers, John Vialon, on here, to chat a little bit about some conservation news. Uh, but before that, Corey and I are going to work our way through some uh, some admin stuff, you know, the normal the normal flow of things, uh, kind of giving updates as to what's going on in the world. And... Uh, what we're looking for and what we're doing. What we're looking for. Yeah, what we're, whatever. What we're doing. <laughs> so uh, for me personally, uh, I'm actually hopping on a plane tomorrow. I'm heading out to the BHA rendezvous where I'm going to be cooking the uh, lionfish for the field to table uh, fundraiser dinner. I'm going to be doing a bison meat canning demonstration Followed up by a uh, cooking competition where Adam Steele, uh, field staff writer from here in Florida, we're both going to be competing against twelve or sorry, eleven other chapters in the United States. Uh, we're going to be representing the Florida chapter, and uh, I, I would love to tell you what we're cooking, but I don't want to give it away. So you'll have to just wait and see. Hopefully, with pictures of us in the winner's circle. But uh, who knows? We'll see. We're hoping for the best, uh, and and going to go. Th- go show our Florida pride. Uh actually it's my last week in Florida, so it's the last week of being a Floridian before I'm a Coloradian. I don't know what you call people from Colorado, so that's just a guess. But Let's see Corey, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well,
2: have I have I been on since um turkey season started? I don't think I have.
1: I mean, you have been on by your You've been on by yourself, but not with us.
2: No, that was before turkey season. But I got a turkey. Okay. So I guess that's where I'm nice. going with that. I got my I got I got my <laughs> uh, first long beard. I've gotten several jakes, but this was the first long beard, so that was pretty pretty exciting. Got it the first couple hours on the first day. I listened to them gobble for a couple hours before it had a. Before it actually came within range, so
1: it had that weird leg thing, didn't it? In the meat.
2: Yes, yes. It must have gotten spurred. Um, because the one whole leg was basically green, had gangrene, and I had to toss it, and then the bottom portion of the one breast was bad as well, so I had to cut that away. But we cooked the other breast actually last night and and made the Sean West's um, Wild Turkey Po' Boy, which is highly recommended kid approved as well yesterday was actually the last day of turkey season in pennsylvania so switching gears to smallmouth fishing maybe getting some trout with the fly rod
1: that's awesome all right uh john how about you what uh what's what's going on in your neck of the woods
3: uh spent a few days up on lake ontario weather was gorgeous i've never seen the lake so flat but that made the fishing a little tough but we caught some salmon it was good um, getting our, our garden finally prepped, vegetable garden, and starting on some summer deer plots.
1: Nice. Um, I don't know, Allie, how about you? Uh, what, what do you? What have you been up to lately and what plans you got going forward?
4: Well, you know, same here with the garden, trying to get everything in the ground, not eaten. Um, <laughs> we are doing some construction over here, so the garden location is kind of tbd So I haven't really gone too far. But um, this weekend in our area, I'm also in Pennsylvania, um, local CSA start and all that good stuff gets going. So I'm excited for all of that and, you know, the summer, summer produce, just exciting.
1: I've been uh, closing my time out here. We got involved on a a little farm project down here in the Florida Keys where it's a, a piece of land that, we're helping set up a, a farm and a kids' summer farm camp and a bunch of other things. So I've been, I too have been doing a lot of uh, garden planting and vegetable work here in the last three weeks. Uh, it's it's taking a toll, the hot sun, <laughs> but uh, I'm ready for a little bit of a break when we get traveling next week.
4: Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool.
1: Do that. You want to do a quick uh, a quick intro for the adventures for food podcast
2: ventures for food um a storytelling series that we have on this podcast where we want you the listeners to uh reach out to us tell your story we'll record it and we'll release it for the world to listen to um we're always looking for some some great stories so if if you out there and the and the listener verse out there want to uh tell your story, please email us at what's cooking at harvesting
1: Sweet. And uh as always also too a great place to connect. I don't know if you notice Corey, but it's been growing very steadily. But uh our Facebook community page, it's the uh wild fishing game community. Uh it's over on Facebook. If you just search for that you can uh you can get in there and and we share a lot of recipes. Uh, we interact more closely than we do on kind of our standard Facebook page. Normally, it's like kind of one person, but everybody sort of uh, shares photos, their adventures, ask questions. Um, we have a lot of good questions. We got somebody who was asking about um, fiddleheads the other day. I think I've seen people uh, share different recipes and photos. Yeah. So it's a pretty cool spot to uh, just chat and engage with the the greater wild fishing game community that we've sort of created and, and of course it's the one of the prime spots to to chat with us too on a daily basis if you're into that and then also uh if you're digging what content we're putting out you can always buy us a coffee so if you scroll down in the show notes there's a link to buy us a coffee where you can uh contribute one two three seven cups of coffee uh and you know, it helps keep us fueled and, and pushing through the long nights of editing podcasts and writing articles and cooking uh, boudin recipes. Right, Corey? Right. And then uh, we, we did start it up. We took a bit of a break uh, trying to figure out kind of some finality on it, on what we're going to do. But we have the Antler and Finn podcast, which is set up to be basically an audio cookbook, uh, kind of walking you through the ingredients Uh, a little bit of the backstory and then step by step all through audio so you can play and pause as you move through and cook whatever meal you see but more to follow on that as we get into the summer and the fall we'll hopefully get our some of our top recipes on there uh, ready for hunting and fishing season to both kick off here shortly we'll turn it over to john then so john you got a bit of conservation news for us today Uh, looking forward to hearing that so you Take it away.
3: Yeah, so I was recently reading an article by Andrew Lewis. He's a freelance reporter for um, New Jersey Spotlight. He does a lot of conservation articles. He's been doing some fisheries articles lately. And he pointed out an important piece of fish conservation legislation, which is aimed to protect and manage forged fish populations, which I wasn't even aware of. <laughs> Um, It's called the Forage Fish Conservation Act. The bill was introduced by two U.S. Senators, Roy Blunt, a Republican from Missouri, and uh, Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut. So it has bipartisan support. It was just introduced in April. Um, This bill will provide much-needed management conservation measures for forage fish species, and it also provides some funding for states to be able to adequately monitor yearly runs. Uh, the bill is currently in the U.S. Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. Um, and the one you know, one thing I wanted to point out why this bill is so important was specifically as it pertains to American shad. American shad aren't an address species that live in the ocean, they return to rivers and streams to spawn. Uh, they're native to the east coast and they were so appropriately named the founding fish by John McPhee in his 2002 book and they're historically a very important source, food source for Native Americans and early Americans and they're reported to have sustained General Washington's army at Valley Forge. The Shad Run in many eastern rivers currently is just a fraction of what they once were because of declines in water quality dams and overfishing in particular the delaware river here which separates new jersey pennsylvania and then further to the north it separates pennsylvania and new york it's the longest undanned river east of the mississippi and it's historically been a stronghold for american shad and through history as the um, Water quality of of the river, especially the lower river, has improved through work by the Delaware River Basin Commission and others. And as many dams to tributaries of the Delaware River have been removed, which should create additional spawning habitat for these fish, we would expect their population to be higher than it has in decades, but unfortunately it's not, and there's a lot that we just don't know. Um, There's a lack of monitoring and conservation which has led to fluctuations in run size, age structure, and reproductive success. Currently, the shad monitoring is conducted by the Delaware River Basin Fish and Wildlife Management Cooperative, and it includes several agencies. By primar- primarily, it's led by the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. They operate on a shoestring budget; they don't have adequate resources to fully assess the run size each year. And as a result, um, there's a lot of critical data that they're unable to collect. Um, and the big problem is American shad are classified as a forage species, even though they're an important angle, uh, angling uh, fish, they're, they're not covered under Magnuson-Stevens Fish Conservation and Management Act. So therefore, they don't receive the same protections and funding to states as other fish species. And it's widely believed that a lot of the ocean and estuary commercial fisheries are depleting stocks. Um, A lot of these ocean fisheries have very liberal bycatch of shad and other forage species. And when you have some of the runs along the East Coast, which measure in the hundreds and thousands, you can easily have detrimental impacts to some runs. so I'll just kind of end by saying that uh, you know these all these forage fish are important food for other predatory fish that we like to go out and, and catch as anglers, and they're important for marine birds, mammals, and some like American shad are an important recreational resource. Um, I'm not sure if maybe we can put a link in the show notes where people can go get some more information on the Forage Fish Conservation Act and. I urge folks to contact their state senators and urge them to support this bill, especially those who who live on the East Coast.
1: I think I think we can definitely include the show notes in there. The link for the show notes shouldn't be a problem. Um, so looking at shad, I'm trying to think back in in my history if uh, if I've come across eating shad. I think I have before. Um, as far as recreational harvest, is it a big? a big run in in pennsylvania or what parts of the east coast see it primarily that that it's opened up for recreation
3: um definitely the delaware river there's obviously a big recreational fishery the connecticut river um a lot of the rivers in in the chesapeake have been closed to recreational fishing because because the stocks are low um the same thing with the hudson so and, and year to year you, you really don't know what the what the run is going to be and what the run size is um, one of the things that we're seeing talking with the pennsylvania fish and boat commission biologist, is they're seeing what some of the tournaments are saying is that the fish tend to be getting smaller each year um, and they they don't know why they're not sure why
1: so would you think that as a as a conscious uh angler and consumer of Delicious aquatic creatures that I should take a break from uh, my shad harvesting. Well, I
3: mean, they—they've we haven't done a lot of creel surveys on American shad in quite a while, but it, it's estimated that the recreational harvest is minimal. It's very minimal compared to, um, you know, what the commercial fishery is right now on the Delaware River. You're allowed to keep three fish per day. The majority of shad fishermen practice catch and release. I may keep three for the whole season if I'm lucky.
1: What do you, what do, you do with them once you got them?
3: Probably my favorite thing I make is uh, a recipe from Hank Shaw in which you use a Japanese technique. You basically scale the fish, leave the skin on, fillet it, and then you make cuts through the flesh, through the through the bones, but not through the skin every couple millimeters through the entire fillet and then you cut the fillet up in the pieces and uh basically treat it as any fried fish you know beer batter however you want to do it and with that slicing technique is it's cutting through all those tiny bones and it also exposes those bones to the heat when you fry it It makes them a little softer so that when you're eating it you don't even notice there's bones because that's one of the, the things with, uh, with shad is they're very, very bony.
1: Huh, that sounds really cool. Do you, uh, do you know of people like making kind of a paste out of them, maybe doing cakes with them? Or um, what's another thing? Pickling is another way to get rid of the bones?
3: Pickling is one way to soften the bones. I, I've tried it, and I guess I'm just not a fish pickling person that I didn't care for the taste. But uh, shad cakes are another good way where you can put it in a food processor and kind of break everything up and make make cakes. That's another good way of of utilizing them.
1: Nice. Okay. Cool. Well, um, it's good to know. Thanks for coming on and sharing about it. It's pretty cool. I think about, um, you know, a lot of the conservation acts that are coming through these days and and, and you hear about it. this is actually the first time I've heard about the Forage Fish Conservation Act. So definitely interesting to me. I encourage everybody listening uh, do a little bit of research, click through the show notes that we have here using those links, learn some more. educate yourself and then uh, reach out to your senators and your congressmen and women and say, hey like let's let's get some support for this uh, this act through so we can get some better monitoring and, and accountability and up those. Shad percentages so that we can uh, make more fish cakes So all right, well, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our guest uh, Today really excited that she's joined us. So She's an author recipe developer and food photographer She's been featured on the sporting chef on the sportsman's channel and has recently released her first Wild game cookbook which you can find on Amazon. It's titled everyday venison and uh, Allie Duran, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game podcast.
4: Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun already, learning a lot, and I'm really excited to chat with you guys. Um, that was a great intro. I feel like I, I don't even need to add anything, but yes, <laughs> I am uh, the, I guess, uh, one-woman show behind Miss Allie's Kitchen. Like you said, my first book is out in the world, Amazon, uh, now we're in Cabela's Bass Pro, all that good stuff. I've recently heard Joanne Fabrics, if anybody's at the fabric store and wants to pick up a venison cookbook. Um, but yeah, that's 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 what it is. And um, But I'm really happy to be here.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of where you grew up, uh, how you were introduced to the outdoors, and then we'll get into the, the culinary and, and hunting side of things as we go.
4: Yes, yes. So, I am a Pennsylvania resident. I was born in the uh, kind of Philly suburb area, Harleysville area, if you will. Um, Very, very suburban. So, um, I was lucky enough to grow up in a neighborhood where we had a big access to, you know, woods, creeks, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, my, I actually, I'll get into this a little bit later, but my introduction to the great outdoor world of hunting and fishing did not come along until I met my uh then boyfriend now husband uh Jared but um I'm actually an equestrian so most of my I started riding uh horses when I was five I was really competitive so all of my time really growing up was spent at the barn but I've always been really really obviously outdoorsy um you know you gotta get kind of nitty-gritty when you've got horses and um I spent a brief time down south. I went to college. I'm a graduate of Auburn University. I have a degree in communication from there. And then um, moved back up north, um, you know, about, oh, gosh, was it six, seven years ago? Seven years ago now, I think it is. Oh, man, time's flying. Um, But, yeah, that's kind of my background. Um, Like I said, I call myself an accidental hunter's wife. I never really pictured myself in this awesome community and I met my husband. He's an extremely passionate and uh, dedicated outdoorsman and my kind of crash course with cooking, and I know we are going to get into it in a little bit. um, I just, we moved in together and all of a sudden I had about 60 pounds of deer meat in my freezer and I am one that is very bothered by food waste, and so I just kind of had to figure out what the heck to do with it. It was not easy in the beginning. Um, I'm a recipe developer and food photographer by trade, so it's always really puzzling to me when there's something that I can't cook well. So that that's kind of my background and my little introduction there, but um, yeah. A little different than a lot of people in the outdoor community
1: yeah no that's that's still that's super cool though um do you remember what what kind of first couple of recipes you played around with when you were, were testing out the venison
4: i think so it was really interesting when i first met my husband he brought so this was in like 2015 he brought a probably a six month old I want to say it was, I don't remember super clearly, but we went on a camping trip, and I think, I want to say it was a backstrap. He cooked it, had it uh, cut into chops, cooked it really well, and it was absolutely delicious over the campfire. So I figured I'd do the same thing on our apartment grill with like a whole leg steak. And it literally, you guys totally know what I'm talking about, it just curled up. It curled up, Uh it was like rubber, it was so dry. And then I remember making, gosh, I forget what it was. You know, I tried to cook venison like you try to cook beef, right? Because my upbringing was like chicken, pork, and beef. You know, really commercial. And um, I don't even remember what it was. I think it was like some sort of, I don't know, maybe it was even like a beef stew recipe. But when you try to cook venison like you cook beef or any other um, when I'm referring to venison, it's usually PA whitetail deer. Uh, it just doesn't taste very good. So it was really dry and it was hard. It was, as some people like to call gamey, had that like just real irony flavor. And it was so interesting to me because I really hadn't worked with it before. Um, but I remember the first recipe that worked really well for me. I got an Instant Pot. I was testing recipes for a client and I just figured I would throw um, some venison in there that I had and make a quick stew because I do really, really love stews. And all of a sudden, I had this, like, absolutely delicious stew with fall-apart tender chunks of meat. And, I mean, personally now, I, I prefer it to, like, any commercially bought or, you know, purchased um, meat that you can get. But that was, like, my first, like, eureka moment. Like, okay, this – it's – it's more technical. It's me, not the me, (laughs) and this can be done. So, um, that's kind of, you know, where I started going down the rabbit hole.
1: And so the Instapot was like the aha moment of like,
4: yeah, I think it was the first time that I had made something that I was like, this is actually delicious. And I would share the recipe with people. Um, so that's kind of what happened. I worked on the recipe a little bit more, I posted it on my website. I was very heavily into like the health food blogger scene. So I, I'm personally definitely not. Um, we eat a lot of plant-based meals just for, from a sustainability, um, standpoint, but, uh, definitely not obviously vegetarian or vegan. So I was really nervous though, because that's very popular in like the food blogging community. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of, put the recipe on my website, didn't really talk about it on social media. And all of a sudden it went viral on Pinterest and Google.
1: Oh, wow. That's awesome.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, you figure, well, I really have something here and we personally started eating a lot more of the venison um, we had on hand. Like I said, I personally don't like to waste food. My husband definitely grew up in a household where it was mainly like sticks and sausages. And then, you know, quote unquote, ground or hamburger meat, um, which is not really how I like to eat from a culinary standpoint. So um, yeah, we just kind of went all in. So
1: have you guys expanded uh, more into doing sort of the whole animal or breaking down parts and, and exploring more with individual cuts?
4: Yes. Yeah. So that was really interesting because, you know, obviously, As Americans, we eat a lot of ground meat, and that's – I remember my husband would come home with, like, gallon bags of two pounds of meat, and, like, we would just put it right into the freezer. You guys are probably laughing. Um, And it just was so inefficient. And as you really dive into the whole world of cooking with wild game, you find the gold mine that is larger cuts of meat. So not even just beyond roasts. My personal favorite is ribs. Um, we do short ribs for the holidays. Um, you know, I haven't had great, great luck with them, you know, like barbecue ribs, just because I feel like people are missing those meaty, like beef or pork ribs. But I personally think that, you know, a venison, you know, deer, elk, um, I personally have not had the chance to work with moose. The, the... The key,
1: kind of, with the ribs that I found is that um, if you leave that outer flap of meat on, some people will take yes. off for trim, and that gives you a nice thicker chunk. Um, okay. And then I, I actually like. Uh, I use a variation of like uh, the one of the meat eater recipes uh, where oh, I okay. put it in the crock pot first, and then I finish it on the grill. And I, to me, that's so. Yeah, I think like the key there. Probably one of my favorite ways.
4: that you get. Uh, you know, to tenderize. Yep. Good. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to do it. Um, that's, you know, but we leave a lot more whole, you know, I, I get a little bit of ground meat these days, but most of what I get is whole. Um, and it's been really fun to just kind of play and experiment. Um, my take on wild game cooking is a little bit more of an approachable everyday style. Um, I think I mentioned before, you know, I have this accidental hunter's wife angle and it attracts a lot of, uh, women with families that have a lot of game meat on their hands. And, you know, a lot of the recipes that I've come across are absolutely wonderful, but they're not something that you can whip up in 30 minutes and serve to your kids that they're actually going to eat. So, you know, I still do work with ground, but I really like to encourage people, um, to get creative and there's actually in my book the first few chapters um there's a diagram and a cut cheat sheet and then recipes linked out for each cut so I encourage people my husband and I actually have like a shared list on our phone of what we want to make so we know what we need to kind of preserve whole what we can maybe discard into ground you know it's it's um, every year it's changing and evolving a little bit but it has been really fun
1: so you yourself, uh, have you got out to do much uh, much hunting or fishing?
4: I haven't. Um, it is a big goal. Like I said, I, I am an equestrian and um, I was uh, working with some off the track racehorses, kind of rehabbing them, getting them ready to rehome. It's kind of a big undertaking. So, And then uh, we just had our first daughter last July. Oh, congratulations. So I haven't yet. Thank you. But, um, you know, I haven't been able to ride due to an injury. Oh, no. So I'm thinking that this year could be the year. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, that's...
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: That's pretty cool. Um, really excited if if you do get the opportunity to get out in the outdoors this year. Um, definitely understand being busy. I think that's a... A common theme amongst a lot of our guests is that uh, we all live in this outdoor community but oftentimes uh, get pulled various different directions, you know, work, family, uh, and I think kind of the standard answer for a lot of folks uh, is like, I haven't got out as much as I'd like to, and everybody always plans to get out more, but certainly understanding responsibility to family and and, uh, occupation
0: first on the same way.
1: Sorry. Uh, what's what? Uh, what do you got in the freezer now?
4: So in the freezer now, um, uh, we're looking low. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have, uh, I have been holding on to my back strap for something special this summer. I'm not really sure what. Um, what else do I have? Um, I have a few bear roasts left, which I know you guys uh, in our emails. You wanted to chat about bear roast recipe, um, and I think I'm gonna do some um, carnitas soon. So that I'm really excited about, and I've got, yeah, that is a two-year-old black bear, but we've we've moved through it. Um, that bear really sustained us during uh, the meat shortage last year, so we were really grateful for that. Not much left anymore, but. Yeah, that's what really all I have. <laughs> few pheasant, few pheasant, um, and that's about it. So yeah, I'm like anxiously awaiting September. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, October. We're October this year.
1: We were up in uh, Oregon just a couple weeks ago. Actually, I guess at the beginning of the month now, and uh, there was a group of five of us and. One of us uh, shot a bear, Ryan shot a bear. If you go back, we, we have that episode where we kind of recap the trip. Awesome trip, uh, I had an absolute blast, but awesome. uh, Ryan ended up harvesting a bear and we divvied up the bear meat. So that is one of the prime reasons we wanted to talk about your uh, your best ever bear roast. So if you wanted to, uh, we'd love it if you'd share some details about that and kind of walk us through the recipe.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, you know, I, I, personally, I love bear. And I people kind of raise their eyebrows at it, especially if uh, it's a new concept to them. But I personally think that for those that might be nervous to try different types of meat, different types of wild game, bear is a really good starting point. It um, obviously has a higher fat content, and um, so it results very easily in tender meat. What I found is best for bear um, is the slow cooker or your crock pot. You wanna get a really, really good hard sear on the outside, all sides of the meat. That's really important. Like for just any sort of um, low and slow cooking, you're gonna get more flavor out of anything you're making if you give it a good hard sear. Um, If I get a nice sear, um, I like to kind of deglaze the pan and then I put all of the juices and all of the cooking liquids into the crock pot. And you could just let it go. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful roast. Um, you can alternatively, if you grab my cookbook, I have a um, carnitas recipe in there. It is developed for uh, deer, elk, um, venison. Um, however, I have made it with bear. And it's a very similar concept. That is braised in the oven. So... Um, if we have any listeners that aren't familiar with braising, it's really just cooking low and slow uh, with a certain amount of liquid, not too much, not too little. Um, and it is always covered, so it creates this kind of like steam room effect. And what that does is it breaks down any tissue and uh, tenderizes the meat. It helps to let like that kind of melt. And that's where you get that like fall apart um, consistency. Um, the the just has a little bit more flavor and it's got some like tomato and some citrus in there. Um, but the best ever bear roast, I believe it is balsamic vinegar. You can use any type of vinegar, but I always encourage people, um, even if you want to tweak some of my recipes or a recipe you come across, um, make sure you have some sort of, um, acid. So vinegar, citrus, um, but th- those really, vinegar and citrus, are what I generally recommend. It's the most uh, tasty pleasing. So, but it's just one of those meals that you can set in the crock pot, um, serve it with whatever you like maybe a side of like mashed or smashed potatoes, soup potatoes. Um, I don't know, risotto would maybe even be nice, pasta, and then any kind of vegetable. You know, roasts I really feel are a little more wintry. So, like a root veggie blend, roasted are always nice. That's why I was kind of talking about the carnitas because moving into the warm weather, like tacos, taco salads, it's always oh warm. man, I so, love
1: tacos. I'll yeah. just point that out.
4: <laughs> I know, me too, me too. They're so good. Yeah. So that's a good recipe. That one is in my book, um, but maybe I should do some pulled bear tacos on the blog. Um, with what I have left, you're kind of inspiring my, uh, editorial here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think carnitas sounds great. The, the roast sounds phenomenal. I, I like the idea. I'm a huge root vegetable, uh, person. So like the, I'm thinking like parsnips yeah. and turnips and, and all the, mm-hmm. all the root vegetables, because I think the more the merrier yes. when it comes to that. But, yeah, may, uh, maybe like fall bear. Uh, maybe that'll be the result of yes. hopefully yeah. some fall bears. But um, you ever play around much uh, doing uh, burgers with uh, the black bear?
4: I have. I have a recipe on my site. And I know there's definitely contradiction contradicting information out there. I'd love to hear your opinions on um, temperature for... Um, Bear meat, internal temp. Um, I usually, especially because my daughter's usually eating, I usually go to like 160, which obviously when I'm making, uh, Mm -hmm. venison or elk, uh, elk burgers, whatever, um, even beef, if I'm using it, I generally go for like a medium burger. Um, but I do have a really good bear burger recipe on my website, um, to kind of combat that, um, Technique that I use, where I do cook the meat to a little bit more well done, just that's just to reduce um, chance of foodborne illness um, because of uh, diet that bears have. Um, I add extra flavors, a little bit extra fat there, and it makes them super super juicy. I love with like pepper jack cheese, even though I sometimes can be just like a burger purist and I don't even always use cheese, which I know is kind of crazy. Um, but I definitely <laughs> recommend that and I think they're really good, personally. I I think they're awesome. They're some of my husband's favorites.
1: I like uh I definitely like a good black bear burger. Uh we ha we also have one on our website too. And uh I have I foresee the future of black bear recipes on the Harvester Nature website increasing but um for various told reasons, but uh yeah thinking about the burger and internal temps so we had a a good conversation back uh in like our very very first season of our podcast where we had one of our field staff writers sean west on and one of our buddies randy king and we had a whole conversation sort of about eating bear and uh it actually i put it in our top 10 top 10 favorite clips of 2020 because i just thought it was really really relevant and I think you get into a lot of conversations around the temperature, uh, temp and time. Uh, so if you're exposing Mm -hmm. it to that bare minimum temperature for a duration of time, and then you have both, um, what is it? It's like a, a wet heat and a dry heat. So is it being stewed and sauteed or is it being like grilled or baked or roasted, And I think all those kind of play in. But I'm almost 100% like you, where I'm like, it depends on the audience. Okay. Like, if I'm cooking for my kids, I'm I'm not going to – I'm going to go the extra step.
4: Yeah, I know. I agree. When it's for kids or, you know, company guests, my gosh, you'd never want to, like, run the risk. But I agree. You know, if it's a roast or something like that and it's falling apart, um, you know, I'm generally, like, not too picky about temp. I don't know if it's – it's falling apart i don't really care what the temperature is and you can probably assume it's food safe but you know burger ground meat not really too sure so i would agree that's kind of how we run it here
3: yeah
1: yeah i I think you get into those where it's like you get the tougher cuts of meat and maybe it doesn't or the uh i should say the the more tender cuts of meat but you're having to cook them longer so you're running them into that aspect where you're like i'm definitely overcooking this on the side of food safety and it makes you wonder Sort of. But, you know, a big thing I was actually talking with somebody the other day is uh, they were asking like, hey, what were your tips on cooking bear? And I was like the sous vide uh, because you can maintain that that 160 temperature without overcooking. And because you have that prolonged time of exposure, you're you're actually you can meet the minimum threshold um, because the theory being like. Uh, I think it's it's even less that the trichinosis dies. I think it's like one forty five. Don't quote me on that, but okay. um, but a lot of that means that every little like microscopic ounce of that meat has to be at that temperature. So by putting it sous vide and running it for an hour you know, the meat's going to hit, you know, 145, 150, 160, and it's going to stay at that temperature. So you're not going to overcook it. So you can drop your, your, uh, your temp a little bit. So you're not, Mm
3: -hmm.
4: not making
1: it shoe leather.
4: Well, now you're convincing me. I've had quite a few people tell me I need to get a sous vide and I don't, I don't have, I'm, the least gadgety person ever i have my readers all the time like what gadget what do i need what do i need to do this i'm like nothing you need a cutting board some good cast iron and like a really sharp few knives you know chef's knife like you don't need a lot but i have been hearing really good things so it's such a like you know break my rule yeah it's (laughs)
1: such a game changer um okay you know i remember back in the day and I've said this on here so I won't I won't repeat it again but I remember when they first came out and like people were seeing them in restaurants and they were like super mm-hmm. super expensive and they were more the, the like the water circulators yeah um, but now it's cool to see uh, more of the sous vide wands and those things become more expensive and people using them in the wild yeah. game space which oh yes who'd have thought
4: yes well but, I always say you know just really if you want to be a better wild game cook just hone in on really good cooking principles you know that's if you wanted to take like a the pillars of great french cooking yeah Uh it translates so well um i think you know over in europe you see a lot more game um, oh yeah especially in france so
1: well, too, in a lot of Europe, commercially available, uh, actually like true wild game, not farm-raised commercially mm-hmm. available meat like we have here, uh, excluding Texas, of course, because Texas does Texas things, and they inspect game and on the spot. I don't know. It's so awesome. But um, yeah, it's cool to see, because uh, I'll, I'll be doing research on recipes and stuff in, in a lot of European uh, restaurants, and recipes are showing up, mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm like, man, I thought I was going to be the first guy to think of this, but obviously not.
3: <laughs>
1: uh. So um, as the temperatures are starting to warm up and, uh, you know, we mentioned it with Bear, like maybe not a great time for roast, but looking at carnitas, um, mm-hmm. what are some of your tips for creating meals that'll, that'll work well as we transition from spring to summer and, and get into the, the heat of the year?
4: Yeah, so I think my big, one of my biggest tips and something that I feel like people come back to me most, and they're like, that was so simple, but it like really, really made a big difference. Um, using acid in the things that you're cooking, and especially in marinades, if you want to be out on your grill, out on your smoker, make sure you're marinating and make sure you're using a good like homemade uh, marinade. It can be super simple. I have an all-purpose, it's, a, it's, it's titled all-purpose venison marinade, but, you know, you can really use it, you can use it for bear. Um, you know, when I say venison, I usually lump, like, deer and elk, um, moose, antelope into that umbrella term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you can really use it for any of those types of meats, and it that recipe has um, lemon juice and red wine vinegar, and it really just, like, brightens things up. Um, I'm a big, we are a big grillers as I think most people are something I really like to do. Even if you have like, a maybe I know, um, we get, we do a lot of like leg steaks. And what I do is I process them down into like chunks or like, so what some people call stew meat, um, I will marinate it and then I'll kebab a lot. I really think that's a good way to do things. And you really just have to hit it on the grill, Something I like to do is then you can create, like, bowls, like, uh, you know, like a quinoa bowl with, like, you know, fresh garden tomatoes, fresh garden cucumbers. You could do um, some carnitas if you wanted. You could even do those on, like, a smoker or um, an indirect spot on the grill, low and slow, just in, like, a foil pan covered in foil on the grill. And then you could, like, char some corn, um, you know, a little heated cheese crema that situation um yes. there's yeah there's a lot I'm, you can do i made the yeah. big
1: mistake tonight i didn't eat before the show so <laughs> now i'm like kicking myself for it
4: <laughs> i know i know yeah so i think just like any bold and bright flavors um i have a chimichurri marinade in my book that is like lights out oh, i'm man, one and i love that, that's yeah awesome. me too and i don't um, rinse off the marinade before. I really, I'm not a big rinser. Um, I pat dry. So, I've had a couple people make it, and they're like, "It was green," and I'm like, "Yeah, but I mean, it's just on the outside." And then you yeah. cook it, and it's um, really, really tender, so flavorful. Um, you know, when you're grilling meat, I definitely recommend, especially when you defrost your um, meat, that you either do it open out of a package on, on a paper towel, or you hit whatever you're doing, even if it's ground groundmate, uh, with a paper towel, absorb some of that old blood that will really help that iron-like flavor, the quote-unquote gamey flavor that some people might call it. Um, and then make sure you're really dry um, before you hit on the grill or cast iron pan. You know, after you marinate, you don't have to rinse off, but just, again, pat with paper towel. so... You get like that real nice, hard, charred surface, and it's it's nice.
1: Yeah, I, uh, yeah I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I was even, the, some of the ways that I've thawed, like I'll pull meat and thaw, and I'll make sure that there's a, a separator between the bottom of whatever yeah, bowl I have it in. Yeah, that works too. Yeah, that way some of that uh, liquid can, just to separate that out to get a better mm-hmm. sear. And have you heard of the mayo trick? No. Oh, man. Uh, what's his name over at the Huntivore? Nick, Corey, Nick Otto, Nick, Nick Otto. He's a huge fan. I turned him on to it. Uh, he he read surprisingly. I wrote an article about just searing venison steaks, and you take uh just a little bit of mayonnaise, very thin layer. Uh-huh. And coat on there, and that emulsion because it's that's what it is. It's just it's yeah. essentially egg and oil, right? right. And that allows uh, a plus up of the Maillard reaction, which gets you a nice brown, crispy outer layer. Oh,
4: maybe that's what I saved that backstrap for. Yep. Not to do that, okay.
1: Try it out because mm. you can you can definitely get a quick sear on it and not okay. drop. The internal temp too much uh, that okay. way too.
4: Oh, nice! I'm a big fan of like good good quality mayo. Yeah. It's, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is worth its uh, weight in gold. Or homemade, but yep. you know, don't always have time for that on like a Tuesday night. At seven <laughs> o'clock. <laughs>
1: That's true. Yep. Yep. Um. So as we're talking to you about summer, um, I, I noticed you have a smoked venison tenderloin recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, so with those recipes, so we we start talking about smoking wild game meats, and you get into the big conversation of uh, are we drying the meat out because you're putting it over prolonged heat for a long period of time, and uh, people get super nervous about it. What what are your recommendations about? Uh, smoking game meats.
4: So I would agree. So when you're smoking a tenderloin, you definitely want to marinate first. Um, At least that's what I do. The all purpose marinade is great. What I just talked about. Um, I don't smoke for all that long. So I will go, that is like a two and a half hour smoke. I am somebody that I don't have patience (laughs) i'm like a like i said i'm not a gadget girl so you know i am like a classic i could live off of my cast iron pan and my dutch oven i don't need all the bells and whistles so um when i'm smoking i i like to smoke meatballs a lot i have a smoked venison meatballs recipe and that tenderloin and i'm only going like two and a half hours because i still like to have that like maximum 140 internal temp that's just me i like a pink center mm-hmm. um i will eat a piece of meat that's like almost raw or i do have a carpaccio recipe so you could do it raw. <laughs> Ooh, um yeah, good. yeah yeah anyway so that's my take my opinion i know others have differing opinions obviously if you're doing a really large cut Uh, maybe, like, a whole shoulder or something like that, if you're doing something like carnitas or you're just wanting some, like, pulled barbecue, you might want to go low and long and um, really follow and keep it... I would keep it moist, though, Um, Mm -hmm. if you could spray it down, something like that, just to keep it from drying out because we don't have that benefit having a lot of fat. But, you know, if you're going to do something like a shoulder, it needs to be cooked long enough so that all that connective tissue, you don't want to remove it. You want to let it go in there, and you want it to, like basically break down and be super gelatinous and that that's kind of your i guess your i don't know crutch would i don't think that's the right word for it but that's where you're going to get tender meat
1: yep agreed um i did what was that most recently smoked what was it most recent was probably the last thing that i put on the smoker for a long duration i had a whole wild pork shoulder uh that i put on there and i was watching i forget it was uh it was like chef's table or one of the ones but it was all about the barbecue. It was different oh, barbecues from around the world. Chef's
4: table. Mm-hmm. Yep,
1: And it uh it had the the lady from down in in south south central Texas mm-hmm. and they were talking about the traditional Texas mop sauce. And oh. so I got super into recreating a wild game version of this mop sauce and use that on the wild pork leg and oh my gosh.
4: Interesting. How did you tweak it?
1: I definitely stuck with some of the traditional Texas flavors, right? So um, you got your jalapenos and things like that. But um, what did I use to – I thinned it out more than normal. Mm. Um, But I also – because there's not a lot of stuff out there about – or information out there about cooking whole wild pork legs. Because it's not something people commonly yeah. have around. Hank Shaw had some good information on smoking <laughs> some of the wild pork stuff, so I used a little bit of uh, a, yeah. a little bit of his info. But it was really a culmination between the two, and I, I relied heavily on that uh, on that mop sauce. And I put it was on there for like twelve hours. Yeah. Um. So, apple cider vinegar, so there's your acid, and uh, game stock, beer, jalapeno, Worcestershire garlic powder, uh, just some other seasonings, too. So, like, you know, a very sort of standard thing, but I think the thing that added in some extra flavor was I put it in my Dutch oven, the whole sauce, and I left it in the smoker next to the pork leg the entire time. So, it was always at the same temp as the pork leg.
4: Super smart.
1: And it just absorbed the smoke flavor because there was, okay. oh, you know what it was? I put lard in there as well.
4: Ah, that's smart.
1: Yep. So it had, uh, you know, and you could use lard or, or any rendered fat, like if you had bear fat. Uh, yeah. It would be a great thing to put in there because that's going to start putting in some some extra added moisture and crisp up the outside too. Yeah.
4: Oh, that's a really good idea.
1: Awesome. So that just, that made me think about as far as smoking, but man. I, I do like it. I think game flavors take on the smoke, but you do you they walk do. a f- you walk a fine line
4: yeah I, you know you don't have the benefit of all the fat, so yep, yeah.
1: And it's, it's not forgiving and, and you know, I get nervous. I know other people get nervous because it's a prize cut of meat, you know? It's like...
4: Exactly. You don't want to, like, waste it. That's why I don't get into it too much either. Like, I hoard my shoulders <laughs> and my neck. So I'm like, no, I only get, like, one or two.
1: Exactly. So. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your cookbook. I know we've talked a lot about the some of the recipes in and out, some on your website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as the meat of the cookbook um what kind of inspired you to to create this cookbook
4: so this cookbook i really wrote it for me like seven years ago um maybe somebody with a little bit less cooking culinary experience than i have um but kind of coming at the whole world of wild game cooking as somebody who grew up eating like just honestly primarily mostly chicken sometimes beef my family is very health conscious I'm from a family of athletes um so I found that most of the recipes I found were just either really technical and that was fine for me for a weekend project but I know a lot of my readers just um Don't have the interest of getting so technical and a lot of the recipes that I found on like Pinterest were like fried and kind of off the wall like you know two three generations ago Mm -hmm. very fried everything was breaded and when I started like really actually liking the flavor I'm like well why would why would you want to mass this I mean you know fried food every once in a while absolutely but all the time um and as I said, I kind of come from a more health-conscious perspective. I don't market the cookbook as a healthy cookbook, but a couple people have come to me and said, you know, this. there are a lot of very healthy recipes in there, and the gluten-free or dairy-free recipes are noted. We don't eat any uh, specific sort of way. But um, yeah, my inspiration was just to provide a resource from head to toe for the average family that has a lot of wild game meat on hand. And it's interesting. I got the chatted with my publisher. Yeah. Signed my cookbook deal summer of 2019 started writing it that fall, had everything pretty much wrapped up by the end of the winter. And then um, this whole COVID stuff hit and um, meat shortage hit. And I was sitting there and I was like, holy cow, I don't know what, A, what we would have done if we didn't have, um, we had a little bit of venison left, but mainly that bear we relied on, Um, and, you know, we just kind of went inward, and we're like, you know, if you need meat, go buy it from the store, but if you don't, use what you have, and I just started talking to so many people, and they were like, I have it, but I, I don't know what to do with it, so that's really who I wrote it for, and I remember when I started working with it, we were saving, like, $200 plus a month on groceries just for from, you know, not buying as much meat. Um, So that's kind of why I wrote the book. Um, I think I mentioned there's a whole intro section. There's a whole tips and tricks and troubleshooting section. um, And there's an entire cut cheat sheet. And then that kind of takes you through some of the recipes so you can see what you, you know, if you process yourself, what you can save or what you could potentially ask if you get somebody to butcher for you, um, what you could ask them for. So you have a little bit more of control of what you have in your freezer because I know a lot of people, like my husband growing up, they would just come home with like ground sticks and sausages, which is great, but that doesn't really give you like a whole lot of control. And if you're somebody that loves like roasts, um, ribs, um, like carnitos, Um, trying to think what else I do anyway, um, you know, there's a lot more you can do besides just like burgers and chili. So not that I don't love the burgers and chili. I certainly do. But um, there's there's a whole world out there. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah.
1: And I try to tell people, like, with with a little bit of uh, a little bit of change, you can get, you know, better flavors than you can expect out of a beef recipe. Absolutely. If you tailor it slightly towards venison or, you know, whatever game meat sub in any game meat of your choice and uh, tweak the recipe a little bit.
4: Um, it's
1: going to be so much better. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So um, so in your book, what, what kind of recipes could one expect? Was there flipping through the pages?
4: Yeah. Um, so the book starts off. It's um classic comfort food meal. So I do kind of get you covered with, you know, your classic roast. Shepherd's pie. Um, my Swedish meatballs have been, like, hugely popular. Um, like a light and deaf off. Um, So, you know, there are those classic recipes for those that are looking for that, but then we kind of get into, like, internationally inspired flavors. I find that Italian flavors, uh, Mexican flavors, and some, like, Asian fusion flavors pair really well. Um, Generally, things that are really bold and flavorful and bright work well with venison. So that's what you can um, expect, but what, you know, this makes this book a little different. I have an entire chapter on soups and salads, so some lighter fare and then I actually have an entire chapter on appetizers and even breakfasts because I you know you don't unless you're like eating previously smoked sausages like I don't really think I ever used to eat venison for breakfast but you can make like really these really yummy um, blueberry breakfast sausage patties and um, my, my daughter loves them she's um, she's 10 months old and going on like 25 already I don't know <laughs> She has the culinary appetite of um, a, a, a someone much older, but she really enjoys things like that. But we love the Wavelos Rancheros. Um, it's kind of inspired from a spot that we went to in Jackson Hole on our honeymoon. So there's some different things. And then the last chapter, it's actually um, just sides and like kind of condiments. Um Only because I feel like with a wild game cookbook, you might think it's just like means. And I didn't want everybody to have to go like find a broccoli recipe on the Internet. So it's like my favorite salad, my favorite broccoli, kind of a couscous salad is in there. Um, Outrageous black pepper herb biscuits and pickled red onions um, because pickled red onions um, they go on everything, man. I I salute you for that. I mean, Pickled red onion. (laughs) Oh, my them Love it. They're my favorite. Yeah. Yes, they're so good. So I feel like you can't have a venison cookbook without that. So I just wanted it to be kind of like the rec- the cookbook that you just need to have in your kitchen um, for those. You know, I don't have, I do have a jerky recipe in there, but there's no like sausages. There's just really no smoking recipes. It is just something that you can do with a Dutch oven, a cast iron pan a really good chef's knife, a paring knife, and a cutting board. That's really all you need. And some basic pantry staples, like olive oil, Italian seasoning, red wine vinegar, lemon, garlic, all that jazz. So, keeping it super
1: far. super straightforward, which is super good.
4: Super straightforward. Um, I kind of saw a little hole in the market there. Um, so I wanted to fill it.
1: Nice. Well, we thank you. We thank you for that, (laughs) because it helps uh, the continuity of the consumption of Wild Game, which is awesome. So um, you mentioned earlier where we can get your book, and I mentioned as well, but uh, can you remind us where we can pick up a copy of your book at?
4: Sure. Wherever books are sold, Amazon, obviously, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, IndieBound, I think Target Online. Cabela's Bass Pro, and, you know, Joanne Fabrics, everybody's favorite <laughs> retailer. <laughs> yeah.
1: I can't think of the last time I was in a Joanne's Fabrics. Neither.
4: either. I had a reader send me a picture I didn't even know. She was like, I found your book in Joanne. I was getting a costume for my kid. It's like,
1: oh. <laughs> Nice. Um, so do you also do online cooking classes as well?
4: Sure do. I do. Yeah. Um, So, actually, as an incentive to pre-order my cookbook, I um, just thought it would be fun to offer a free cooking class for anybody who pre-ordered, and this was, like, last March, so everybody was at home, everybody was on Zoom, and it was so much fun. I mean, I had, like, 50 or 60 people on this cooking class, and we had a blast So I did them, uh, kind of sporadically through last spring and summer, and then, um, took a little break around the holidays. And then, um, I think it was March. I just rolled out again and I offer cooking classes. Um, I kind of do a theme night. So recently it's been really fun. We did, uh, spicy margaritas and venison tacos for cinco de mayo so i've been doing like a cocktail and a main situation if it's like a more um dish focused or like technically focused class i'll provide like wine or beer pairings if you're into that sort of thing if you're not totally cool come with water tea iced tea whatever you'd like um but i invite people to cook along a lot of people do um but some people just come and they hang out and I also do them corporately too. So that's been really fun. It's kind of like a team building or client um, relation, uh, something like that's out of the box. So um, yeah, we do, I have like a meatballs class, meatballs and marinara. I've got, um, this is not wild game related, but it's a night on rosé coming up. It's uh, like a rosé cocktail and some pasta, but then... Um, right after father's day, I'm doing a bourbon and burgers night. So, um, my husband is a big bourbon guy. (laughs) So he is actually all the bourbon recipes. Um, my old fashioned smoked Manhattan and Manhattan are actually all his recipes. Can't take credit, but, um, we're going to do bourbon and we're going to, I think we're going to do venison burgers. Yeah, we're going to do venison burgers. So that'll be really fun.
1: That's Awesome yeah it sounds really fun I wish I, I'm going to be on the road I'm, 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 I'll am I'm look forward to uh are the class virtual
4: yes the oh yes okay. all virtual so they're all hosted via zoom you know recordings sent out all that jazz um which I actually think is a lot more accessible because you know I've done some in-person stuff and it's so hard because you know you have to get all your stuff and then I don't have a commercial kitchen so people are having to like come watch me demo but then like doing and learning and then everybody's camera's on so if they have Mm -hmm. trouble they're like oh is my meatball the right size I don't know um you know is this burger cooked well enough they can throw on their video we can troubleshoot it out it's it's really nice actually I really like the virtual aspect of it and I'm somebody who uh, thrives in person so I was pleasantly surprised
1: that's cool yeah, yeah, we've we've tossed around the idea of doing the same. Uh, not quite pulled the trigger on it yet, but Corey, you have a note in here
2: that says "Wild Game for Babies." Um, I signed up for Allie's, um newsletter, and oh, I, nice. one of the most recent ones was "Wild Game for Babies." Um, my youngest isn't much of a baby anymore. You go sign up too. <laughs> he just turned four, so Justin, this might be more relevant. Oh man. Relevant to you with a one-year-old, but what what yeah. are uh, what is an example of wild game for babies?
4: Sure. So I I am definitely going to go down this rabbit hole more this year. I kind of wanted to get into the first year so I could be a little bit more of a resource. But um, there's a lot you can do for kids. Um, I followed, I don't know if you guys are familiar, more of like the baby-led feeding, baby-led weaning, um, model of feeding our daughter Madison, so she got, she definitely got like purees in the beginning, like pureed foods, um, a little bit of cereals, pretty standard, but then as soon as she was like really sitting up, she, you know, you have to be pretty particular with the way that you cut foods, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, I apologize if this is redundant, but, um, she was eating whole foods. Like I would just hand her a whole half of a pitted avocado and she would go to town. No teeth. She just was, she would have at it. Um, so she turned six months in January and that was like height of soup and stew season. So what I would do back then before she had so many teeth and was so good at chewing, I would take my venison stew, and my venison vegetable soup, and I would just make it and puree it. And oh, she, that's a
1: good idea. Yeah,
4: she went nuts for it. It's her favorite. Um, and it's great, too, because you could freeze them, and so you're not, like, always having to make it. So I would freeze, like, a cup or two of it, and you can even self-pour it into pouches if it's on the go. So that's kind of what she started. So she was very familiar. She had venison and bear before she had beef um, or pork. She did have chicken. Um, so, you know, she really was started – like eating uh, wild game, um, then we kind of as she was able to develop her skills for chewing, um, she definitely had some roasts. She's had the carnitas meat, just like pulled on her plate. She just feeds herself with that. Um, I'll do burgers and I'll just like mush it up into pieces, like a little bit smaller than the size of a chickpea. Um, burgers, meatballs, ground meat. She does taco meat is her favorite. She's one that loves a lot of flavor, um, which is kind of funny. Not too much spice, but flavor she enjoys. Um, and it, you can bind it together with a little bit of, like, whole milk yogurt or avocado, so it's, like, easier for them to grab. Um, but, yeah, she absolutely loves it. Um, trying to think of what else. But, yeah, burgers and meatballs have been huge. And, again, you can keep them frozen. Those blueberry breakfast sausage patties are another really good one and for little babies that don't quite have that like pincer grasp the thumb and forefinger what you can do is you can make meatballs or burgers into like logs meat logs so they can (laughs) grasp it with their whole hands kind of gross but that's what she started doing and then you know you dunk it in a little bit of marinara sauce and like there's their meal they're ready to go so I, I definitely want to provide more resources, but um, I'm definitely one that likes to uh troubleshoot, get in at first, work out the kinks before I start telling people, you know, how to feed their kids, and then people are coming to me like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is crazy. Um but yeah, she has become quite an adventurous eater. Um, so she's had uh deer, elk, bear, bison, um, which obviously is a little more commercially produced, um, that she's had it, but, you know, in restaurants, lobster, shrimp, whatever. I mean, she's pretty much whatever at this point. And it's been really, really cool to be able to, oh, she's had pheasant as well. Um, to be able to like show her that this is where food can come from. And, um, you know, there's a really interesting way that you can feed yourself and, um, yeah, so I'm interested to see as she starts to have more opinions about food what she thinks of store, store-bought meat versus meat that we personally um you know, kill or harvest ourselves. So, yeah.
1: Sweet. No, yeah. it's a it's that's really cool. I it's such a neat perspective. I hadn't even thought about it and like my son is uh, 15 months old next week. I think yeah.
4: Oh, yeah, congratulations. So, thanks. It's
3: fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he was covid a COVID child. He was born two weeks yeah. before the shutdown. Uh oh, March gosh. March fifth, twenty twenty. So oh, he's uh gosh. he's just now starting to socialize a lot more now yeah. that uh you know, yeah. vaccines and all that jazz. But um mm-hmm. it's cool. I haven't so we, we we will do the same with him as we did with my older daughter who's eight, is she only gets to eat wild game meat. Um yeah. so It's good, but I hadn't thought about starting him off sort of younger, and that's that's some good thoughts. I'm gonna have to have a conversation with my wife get the final final approval, but uh, but no, that's let me know
4: if you need help or what you think. Yeah, there's a lot. Anything ground really, and now I mean, I'll do kebabs and I'll just do tiny little pieces, and she just
1: little kebabs and then
4: like yeah, little kebabs, (laughs) natty size kebabs, nice.
1: Well, cool, um, John or Corey, do you guys have any questions?
3: No, I look. I look forward to checking out Ollie's book. Um, I was looking at the website over the weekend, checking out some recipes, and uh, yeah, I definitely want to want to get a hold of her book and try some try some of the recipes out. Thanks Sweet. so
4: much,
2: Corey. You have any questions? No, just that I think she's right in in finding that hole in the market where. There is not many cookbooks that are just like... Because the the problem we have is, you know, you got soccer and swim classes and, and, you know, doctor's appointments and everything. You got 45 minutes an hour to cook and eat, you know, in the evening. And you don't have... You don't have a lot of time to be creative. And so it's nice to be able... To have a resource where you can be a little more creative and and use your wild game um for you know every day
4: yeah awesome well thank you i hope it's helpful
1: yeah absolutely um Allie, what's the best way people can connect with you i know we've mentioned the website uh are you on social media
4: I sure am. Um, The easiest way to, and quickest way, if you have a recipe question, um, Instagram, I'm at Um, the Dots in there, unfortunately. Um, So I'm on there um, (laughs) through the contact form of my website, missallieskitchen.com. You can shoot me an email. um, We will respond quickly there. Um, You can always comment, too. I get to those. um, But fastest way to get to me is on Instagram sweet it's, yeah dms are always fun
1: well as we wrap up the show here this is the 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 point in which we all sort of do a uh, misfire alibi or last notes uh any last thought you want to leave us with uh, us and the listeners with uh before we close out
4: oh gosh um well i really appreciate you guys having me on this has been a really great conversation um hoping everybody gets out there gets cooking some wild game the summer get your freezers cleared out before the fall and um yeah looking forward to connecting with some listeners
1: sweet john last thought yeah if
3: the pandemic last year was you know if that didn't force more people out into the woods and you know some of the shortages we had with our domestic animals and and beef and whatnot um Be sure to try to plan on trying to get out in the woods this year and be sure to take a kid with you and introduce them to fishing and hunting.
1: Nice. I like it. Good good thought, too. Add a plus one. Corey, uh, what you got, buddy?
2: Just want to thank Allie for coming on the show, talking about everyday venison with us, and um, remind our listeners to... um, check out uh what john was talking about on uh, the forage fish conservation act um, so contact your local reps for that yeah thanks ally for coming on uh awesome chat uh
1: sorry about the technical difficulties in the the beginning uh seems to have uh, identified a problem and now we've pushed forward and had a great chat uh looking forward to just as john uh, i'm actually gonna go Give me a copy of the cookbook here and uh, do some cooking out of it. So exciting stuff. I encourage all the listeners to go go uh, follow Allie on Instagram and check out her website. Make sure you subscribe, I just did, to her newsletter so I can get those cool uh, things like Wild Game for Babies, get some more <laughs> hot tips. Um, so uh, yeah, and then after you're done subscribing to uh, Allie's Instagram, make sure you're following Harvest in Nature. And then, um, as always, our show notes will be online. So we thank you for listening and then, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to punch that five star button and leave us review, you know, tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing. Right. But I thank everybody and have a good night.